This all started in museums and galleries. Now it's in classrooms, in country towns. This should not be here. It's a human being in a box. This is the stuff of empires. There is a great betrayal. We're not slaves, we're African. It's the stuff the British stole. I just don't believe that. It just does not stand up. From ABC Australia and CBC Podcasts, six brand new podcast episodes for free worldwide, available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. 대한민국이라는 최대의 적국이 우리의 가장 가까운 이웃에 병존하고 있는 특수한 환경과 미국 놈들이 주도하에 군사적 With that speech, Kim Jong-un ended North Korea's goal of reunifying with the South. The North Korean leader asked the National Assembly in Pyongyang to designate South Korea as a hostile country. And those comments have ratcheted up tensions even further across the entire region. Gene Lee was the first American journalist to work in North Korea, is the host of the BBC podcast The Lazarus Heist, an incredible story about a North Korean hacking ring. She's in Seoul, South Korea. Gene, hello. Hi. What was the message that Kim Jong-un was sending in that speech? You know, I did read the entire speech. It was a pretty broad speech that it gave to the Supreme People's Assembly uh, this week. But the thing that, of course, jumps out comes towards the end of this long speech, and that is this message to the deputies at the uh, parliament and to the people that there's been a huge change in the stance toward South Korea. And so seeing South Korea as North Korea's main enemy and the South Korean people as their foes, not their fellow countrymen. And instead of pursuing peaceful reunification, Kim Jong-un suggested that he is preparing for war and that he would have no hesitation in trying to take all of Korea if war were to break out. So Certainly really strong words when it comes to South Korea and a shift in the stance and how to think about their southern neighbor. Within, I mean, in, in North Korea, there's a physical arch that is a monument to reunification, and he wants to destroy this and dismantle it. Um, and as you said, he has said that South Korea is now the invariable principal enemy of North Korea. Why is he saying this now? Well, I... I will mention that I took a photo at that very arch. So it's a a picture that was taken of me with a North Korean reporter. Mm. So for us, it was very symbolic. Uh, You know, I'm not South Korean, but my parents are South Korean. But um, we saw that standing there together at that particular monument as a symbol. And to think that he wants to to tear that down, he called it an eyesore, um, Symbolic, absolutely. Uh, It goes beyond that, of course. He called for cutting off all communication with South Korea and abolishing all the agencies that deal with South Korea and with reunification. I think that, you know, these messages and speeches that the leader gives at the start of the year always set the tone for the coming year. Uh, And so people pay close attention because they need to understand what it is his policies and his priorities are. Why this is happening right now, I mean, this is what he's telling his people and what he's telling us is that this is going to be a very busy year. Mm. I think that we can see this as also setting the tone for not only how relations are going to be with South Korea, 
But the, the stance and the approach that he's going to take to the geopolitical situation in the region over the coming year. And I don't think it is not surprising for a couple reasons. One of them is that this is going to be a busy year for us here in the United States as well because of this presidential election. Mm. And I, I think that that is something that Kim Jong-un is looking at very closely. And of course, this message towards South Korea is reflective of, of the relationship between North Korea and South Korea right now. South Korea is headed by a very conservative president who has taken a very hard stance toward North Korea. So it's reflective of that as well. And I think it's reflective of um, the goal that Kim Jong-un has to build his nuclear program. And he's looking for opportunities to, I would say, reasons to drum up that that sense of an impending war so that he has a rationale and an excuse to continue building his nuclear weapons. There are times when North Korea is very quiet, but I think that this is a warning, of course, that it's going to be a very busy year in terms of testing, in terms of provocations, mm. and in terms of the uh, the threats that North Korea is going to be making to South Korea and to other countries in the region. That testing is already underway. There have been a series of missile launches. There was the test of a a hypersonic glide vehicle earlier this week. And two longtime North Korean experts, uh, Robert Carlin and Siegfried Hecker, have said from their analysis that Kim Jong-un has made a strategic decision to go to war. How seriously should we take I mean, that, that at a time when there are wars that are unfolding right now elsewhere in the world and people are all, already rattled, how seriously should we take commentary like that? We should always take seriously the risk of war or conflict when it comes to the Korean Peninsula, because this is a reminder, of course, that the Korean War of the 1950s was never resolved. They signed a ceasefire uh, in 1953 to bring that conflict to to bring the fighting to a halt. But North Korea always takes advantage of the fact that that conflict was never fully resolved. And that's precisely the rationale that has allowed them to build nuclear weapons to this point. Kim Jong-un is always using that as a rationale for building his nuclear program. Uh, and the program has reached a point where a test could certainly trigger conflict at any point. So I think that this is something that has been a reality in the region for quite some time mm. because the program has reached a point where any test could be very dangerous. These these tests that you're mentioning, these tests of intercontinental ballistic missiles, I mean, some of them are flying over Japan. We've had, certainly had some of them. They, they are testing them straight up rather than at the normal angle. But even so, some of them are flying over Japanese territory. I mean, I remember one of my friends telling me that they got that alert as he was getting his kids ready for school to duck and take cover. Mm. And, you know, at some point, will a country decide that they're going to intervene? So, but in terms of the strategic decision, I mean, I think that we should always be aware that this threat is very real. That said, you know, I'm here in South Korea and it looks very alarming when you read it in the news. And yet, I have to say, you don't get that sense that people here are panicking. Hmm. And they and all. they and they this, should be the ones who would be panicking. I mean, they're 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 as close as you could possibly be to that threat. The South Koreans have lived through this for many years. Yeah. 
And I do think that one of the goals um, that Kim Jong-un is trying to accomplish is to create anxiety in the region, anxiety around the Korean Peninsula. That is part of the method or the uh, tactic to try to drum up tensions. Uh, but the South Koreans, and certainly, you know, I did see that uh, stocks dropped uh, over the uncertainty over um, the stability around the Korean Peninsula. So certainly if the economy tanks and the security situation and the economic situation were to take a hit, uh, the South Korean people would probably start to react and perhaps criticize the policies that have brought the region to this state of tension, but they're not there yet. Uh, but that is certainly one of the goals that Kim Jong-un has in mind, was, mm. is to create this sense of unease around Korea. Just before I let you go, the other element of context here is that North Korea has developed much closer ties with Russia. They have, they have a friend now in, in Russia. How does that complicate the situation? I think that is actually what is truly alarming about what we've seen over the last several months, uh, is that relationship between Russia and North Korea. Now, Russia, Soviet Union, um, back then, what is a traditional ally of North Korea. But for many decades, there wasn't a whole lot of support from Russia to North Korea. And now, finally, North Korea has something that Russia needs. Russia is in sore need of friends. And North Korea has things that Russia needs. And in return, it's believe that Russia is also providing some of the technological support that North Korea needs to, to get its program to the next level. So this is a very worrying relationship. It does also mean that it makes it much harder for the United States, South Korea, Japan, and other countries in the region to have influence and impact over North Korea and to try to bring them back into the fold. And so you see that deepening divide between Russia, North Korea, and China on one side, and the United States and its allies on the other. And I think that when it comes to trying to rein in North Korea's ambitions, and it's, it's very dangerous ambitions when it comes to its nuclear program, mm. it's important to have all the neighbors on board, and that relationship certainly makes it tougher. Of course, what we need to worry about as well is what is North Korea providing to Russia that is helping Russia prolong its campaign in Ukraine. So then now, suddenly, this relationship takes on a whole other dimension and has impact globally beyond just being a relationship in one part of the world. It has global impact, and certainly that means that we have to think about that relationship on another level. This is unsettling news in unsettling times. Um, Jean, we'll leave it there. I'm really glad to talk to you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. Jean Lee is a journalist and host of the BBC News podcast, The Lazarus Heist. She was in Seoul, South Korea. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.